Kirk to Enterprise. Lock on transporters. Beam us up. Scotty. If everything goes according to plan, come beam us up. Captain, beam me up. Hello and welcome to Pot Me Up Scotty, a podcast where we rewatch all of Star Trek in chronological order. I am Andrea and this is Oshin. Hello. Uh today we're discussing the second episode, Fight or Flight. So before we get into the episode, I know at the end of last week we uh, did a crew evaluation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it every week, but there were just some thoughts I had this week that I'd like to get out there before we okay. the episode. Because I know last week I really struggled to describe why I wasn't mad about Captain Archer. And I realized this week that the word I was looking for that he was lacking, that I felt he was lacking, was authority. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word, but I, I couldn't. But yeah, I just feel he doesn't have the same authority and like gravitas as later captains do. But, on hindsight, on see, particularly seeing this episode, I actually think it kind of works because this is the first Starfleet mission of exploration. So, basically, everyone is learning on the job. And so, I I think it's okay that he's not, like, a perfect captain. I mean, he's he's a very good captain, don't get me wrong. But I think it's, I think it's okay that he's not going to be you know, the ultimate captain, because he is learning on the job and he's the first captain to go to lead a crew on this sort of exploration mission. Right. So you're you're already changing your mind about him. Exactly. Yeah, Good. and that's fine. People are allowed to change their minds. Yes, of course. Yeah. That's growth. The growth, exactly. And I hope the captain grows as well. I'm sure he will. I'm sure by the end of four seasons he's going to be you could be one of my favorite captains. We don't know. I just wanted to clarify that at the beginning of this episode. Okay. Also, in this episode, uh, it's mentioned that Reed is a security officer. I think last week we said he was like head of armory. We weren't sure if he is a security officer, but apparently he is. Yeah, maybe he has two titles, like weapons, weapons officer and security officer. I mean, I still don't trust him, but now I've like another job to not trust him in. And also, I just wanted to clarify, there are four ranks within Starfleet. So there's Ensign, Lieutenant, Commander, and Captain. Yes. So, because I just did my research. Um, there are quite a few more, but the one that I think is interesting is uh, between uh, Lieutenant and Commander. There's Lieutenant Commander. And I believe... If I'm not mistaken, that T'Pol is a lieutenant commander. Because the first episode, Trip is introduced as lieutenant, and she's introduced as lieutenant something else, something lieutenant, but she's above Trip in the chain of command because she's second in command when the captain is not there. But I don't remember her being a commander. So I think in this ship, at least, there 
is no commander, but there is a lieutenant commander, lieutenants that are, I think, Trip, Reed, and maybe something, someone else, I don't know. And then Ensigns, because I know that Mayweather is an Ensign. Yeah, you're right that in the first episode, Paul definitely said she outranked Trip, but obviously she's not technically a member of Starfleet, so presumably that's referring to her rank within the Vulcan equivalent. No, I think she's introduced as lieutenant something. Yeah, but she's not a Starfleet lieutenant. Oh, maybe, she's yeah. She's a lieutenant of the Vulcan Space Force or whatever. Yeah, maybe that it's just because she was authorized to be on this mission, then her rank stays the yeah. same. Also, did you say did you say Trip was a lieutenant? I thought he was a commander. I was watching their little badges as well, and Trip has three, the captain has four, and then Reed, who is a lieutenant, has two. And then the ensigns have won. So I don't understand then why Tapal is above Trip. Is it because he's an engineer? He's a commander, but he's not like bridge crew. He's not up on the bridge. And usually the, fir- the second in command or the first officer, you know, is a, well, they're a bridge officer. She's on the bridge as a science officer. Um. Okay, so I don't know. Maybe it is because he's not a, a bridge, a bridge person, a bridge character. Let's see. Charles Tucker III. Yeah, he's a commander. So what does that make T'Pol? Um, T'Pol is also a commander. It must be because she's on the bridge then. Yeah, he, her occupation is first officer and science officer. It must be the highest ranked next bridge officer after the captain and because she's on the bridge. So there's Captain Archer, Commander T'Pol, Commander trip or tucker lieutenant reed and then ensign mayweather and interesting enough hoshi is also ensign yeah she's a baby oh there's also the doctor but he's not member of starfleet and therefore doesn't have a rank yeah also i don't think it would really matter in the great scheme of things like he's the main like he's the chief doctor so that's his friend so um you had some points that you wanted to discuss about the episode, and I agreed with those points. I think they are the main points to discuss. So, um, what's the morality on just walking into a spaceship surrounded in space without the consent of the crew inside of it? What are the moral repercussions of it? Um, Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question the morality of what you do in that situation because we're obviously in a pre-federation time and so i like that they don't have protocols for this sort of situation yet like obviously it's clearly a spaceship so i think it's safe to assume that they have warp capabilities and it's okay to make contact with these people but i think to paul also raises some interesting points about how you know oh the scan might be seen as a violation of privacy i i don't know if i agree with how dismissive archer is of t'pol and her vulcan ways because the vulcans have been exploring space for quite a bit longer than humans yeah but vulcans did come into contact with humans and impose themselves into our culture so i don't know i don't know like, is she a little bit of a hypocrite? Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I just think she has some interesting points, because obviously an abandoned spaceship is a bit different than a planet that announces itself by having warp capability. But 
I think then when they discover, obviously, what's inside the ship, the dead corpses, I think Paul's reaction is obviously misguided, I would say. I was going to say wrong, but I think misguided is a better word. I can understand where she's coming from in terms of, yeah, the people who did this probably are going to come back. But also, I completely understand why Archer is uncomfortable with the idea of just walking away from 15 corpses. Yeah, so the morality, I, I agree that maybe the captain is a little too relaxed with it in general, but at the same time, if you, if you came across something that you thought maybe, like someone could be in danger, how much of your responsibility is it to check in on them? Because they're obviously not moving, there, there are no life signs. Or there are, but they are very like weak and like they're not normal life signs. You're trying to contact them, but there's no response. Like how much of how much responsibility do you have to check on the well-being of someone on your way, and how much of that responsibility would be imposing on their freedom or like or their choice not to be interfered with? Maybe we could relate it to maybe like um. Yoba's weaknesses, not wanting medical attention. So maybe if you find someone that is, but you don't know them, but like they need medical attention and you take them to a hospital and then you realize that they don't want that uh, medical attention because of their belief or their culture or whatever. Like how much of that is your responsibility to actually take them to a hospital and how much of that is imposing your beliefs or your wanting to do the right thing, morality onto them? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what I like about Star Trek. It does ask these philosophical questions. And it does raise that issue of the line between what you think is right and what is right, which is really interesting. Thankfully, in this episode, not thankfully, but fortunately, I should say, in this episode, it turns out that these people did actually need help and were quite grateful for um, Enterprise's intervention. But... There, I know that there will be episodes later on where it's not going to be as, as clean cut and straightforward, which is what I like. Yeah, I mean, to put it on um, maybe a little bit on last week's episode with the Klingons wanting to die in battle instead of being helped and nurtured back to health. That would be a same-ish comparison. Like, you help these people because you think, because you would want that for yourself, right? You would want... If someone finds you to give you medical attention and not leave you to to die, but you don't know the other person's culture because they're not consenting openly to whatever you're doing to help. So, yeah, it offers you a perspective of how, or not a perspective, it opens the question to really wonder how much of good intentions are morally correct when you're dealing with someone that is not the same as you yeah i think it's i think it's interesting that you bring up the the point about clang from the first episode because yeah it's mentioned that oh yeah klingons find death and honor at the start of the episode they never actually come back to that and address the fact that they kind of saved him against his will whereas and that's fair enough because it's a long episode so they have a lot to introduce mm -hmm. maybe that will come back up in the future i don't know but it, they don't really address it at the end of the episode unless we 
whatever the Klingon leader says to, to Archer is somehow relevant again down the line, I don't know. Whereas in this, it's a much more, I suppose we kind of get some closure on it in terms of it was, we get the, oh, it was okay here because they actually did need help and the person was grateful. Mm-hmm. But I think it it's an, it raises an interesting question about, I suppose, the nature of space travel in Star Trek. Um, as I said, this is pre-Federation. So when you come, like, basically space is no man's land. There is no governing body. There is no one you report to. Like, if we found, to use your analogy, if you found someone who was injured or something, you know, we can call an ambulance or call the police or whatever authority we believe more pertinent whereas here there's no one that archer can report to there's no there's no body to report that to it's just a case of well you can either do try and do something yourself or just walk away yeah exactly and then we see obviously the repercussions of walking away archer wasn't okay with that archer's moral compass is um opposed to just not helping someone that is that may be in need without making sure that their help is not needed. Yeah, and I I hope that in future episodes we do, or that Archer has his moral compass challenged a bit more, and that he's not always going to be proven right. I know he won't be, because that's usually how TV works, if that characters learn and grow. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this show handles that. For a second episode of a series, I think it was good, and it's... Also, you know, helped introduce another character, got into another character in Hoshi, which we'll get onto. Another thing I was curious about in this episode is that there's a quite a big deal made of the fact that human lymphatic fluid bears a similar resemblance to the fluid being drained of these aliens. I'm expecting that whoever these fluid drainers are will be back in future episodes, because that's not usually something that shows drop in casually without follow, but I'm curious to see what happens with that. And um, I'm curious to see if we'll see even the other aliens again, because Star Trek does sometimes have a habit of just introducing aliens for one episode and then never returning to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I mean, especially seeing as you know, Hoshi put in so much work into learning this new language. Okay, it's a shame if that let's all went to waste. get the skeleton out of the closet and talk about our girl... Our girl Hoshi! Okay, so first of all, I have to say I am a linguist. I am an English linguist. And ever since I got my degree, my favorite characters are usually the linguists because I'm biased. And because Uhura is a linguist and she's a linguist and Hoshi is beautiful and Uhura is beautiful. So, like, they're not making it hard to root for them, you know? So. I'm going to let you talk because I think my point of view will be explained when I answer whatever questions you have. So I know you have questions about Hoshi and linguistics. So go ahead. The floor is yours. First of all, let's just get the elephant out of the room because it is absolutely ridiculous that she can somehow communicate with this man after five minutes. Yes, it is. I say man, sorry. They actually do say they're... Uh, what's the word? Androgynous. 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 So apologies. She does manage to communicate with this alien after five minutes, which is ridiculous. Um, I do actually have some linguistic questions. Okay. She mentions that their language uses bimodal grammar. Is, okay, is so that a term I or is that a Star Trek yes. nonsense? <laughs> no, <laughs> that is a thing. Um, I did have to look it up. And so bimodal means two modes, obviously. 
for anyone that knows anything about prefixes. So what I found in relation to bimodal linguistics is like English, for example, you have English spoken and then English sign language or Brazilian Portuguese and Brazilian sign language. So they are bimodal because you have two modes of communication for the same language. Ah, okay. However, I don't know what they mean when she listens to a recording and she's like, oh, this is a bimodal, like a, a bimodal language because you cannot, you're only listening to one mode of communication. So unless there are two, like maybe if it's uh, phonemes like the letters that we're saying now, and also it could be maybe growling or like, you know, these languages in Africa that are like uh, whistling or like clicking the tongue. Maybe if she heard something like that, I didn't hear anything like that, but maybe that is something that she picked up and maybe that also could be two models because you have phonemes like making words, but then there are also sounds that could inflect those words and change their meaning. Otherwise, I don't know how she picked up that they, it is a bimodal language just by hearing it. So yeah, I had to look that up, but that is a real term in linguistics used. Uh, to define a language that is expressed in more than one mode. And could it be relevant that she specified it was bimodal grammar, not just language? Yes, so if it's a bimodal grammar, you could have... There are very different grammars. For example, Spanish and German grammar is very different from English grammar. Well, not very different. German and English are cousins basically but uh we decline everything the germans decline everything and english uh used to but not anymore you don't decline for example the door it's always going to be the door you don't have grammatical gender for things the door is not feminine or masculine in spanish the door is a feminine object uh so to say la puerta you say la which is a feminine singular feminine but then if you say more than one las you decline it differently so maybe it is a mixture of both grammars that are, depending on what you want to say, it conjugates differently. It could be. I Again, I'm not a universal linguist. I'm an English linguist, so I don't know everything about all the languages and if there could be a bimodal mode of grammar. But it could be, since the term actually exists. Yeah. And sorry, did you say decline? Yes. What do you mean by decline? Uh, declensions are when you change the tense and person of a word. Not re not reject. Yeah, no, no, that's what I was just confirming. So, yeah, and then also just to confirm, as a linguistic... As a linguist. Linguist, sorry, yes, you're right. Just, just to confirm as a linguist yourself, um, it is ridiculous she learns this language in five minutes and is able to communicate. Um, it would be crazy for me to learn a language in five minutes, but... She is known to, or she's been already told to be a great linguist and like a top, top performer in her class. She's got a great ear. These are things we know about her prior to her encountering a new language. And these are things that actually do help, can help you learn a new language. For me, it would be crazy to just pick up a language in five minutes. But if she has enough knowledge, she also had the help of the universal translator 
um, like the most impossible thing for me is that she had the conversation at the end without the help of the translator. That because that means that she has memorized the words because the language is not only grammar. You have to learn vocabulary as well. And she had the translator had a problem with certain words. So it's crazy that she spoke it without the help of anything else. But I think you can pick up if you're an expert like she is. I think it's not that crazy that she picked up the basics of the grammar and the phonemes and like the intonation as well by just hearing it. I just the, the crazy part is that she could speak it with no help, like no dictionary, no translator, not anything helping her. But yeah, if 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 she's good enough, and I think she is because she's been introduced as a perfect candidate for this mission. It's just a little a little far far-fetched um uh, but yeah i think it wouldn't be crazy we do see it in uh, the the reboot movies with uhura as well that she picks up languages very easily and i think it's just a, a matter of how much practice and how much knowledge do you have about universal grammar and grammatic structures okay i haven't watched those movies in a while and it'll be a while before we watch them again but i'm looking forward to seeing that yeah, hopefully we can uh, go back to remember when Hoshi learned the language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think you mentioned there that obviously it's, it's crazy that she's able to remember the vocabulary. I think one of the things that frustrated me most about it is that they're obviously trying to create this exciting climax based around translation, talking, uh, neither of which are particularly exciting. No offense. And even she herself says, I don't know the word for pump. Yeah. Uh, but we never see or hear how she overcomes that. We hear her tell him something, but we don't know what it is. Does she find an alternative or a synonym, which is kind of frustrating? It's just, it does feel like a kind of, mag not magic, but a very easy solution that she just needed someone to believe in her. Yeah, that's why I said the part of her actually speaking is crazy, because I don't think anyone like even the machine doesn't know the word so how do you know how to communicate with the other person or the other alien in a way that he understands what you're saying like it wasn't us it was them and you know just check uh, because if you like the man doesn't even move from the camera to check if the bias signs of the pump so it, she i don't think she's saying that i think she's saying we came here to help we found them sent the signal from their ship she may have explained the other thing and maybe that makes sense because that is the part of the message that she did manage to communicate through the translator but yeah it's crazy no that's i don't think that would happen i don't think yeah <laughs> that is a thing that you can pick up in five minutes yeah and i think it did like you said there that you know she could point to the other ship or something and I was like trying to come up with ways that they could have made this more interesting or she could have overcome this obstacle. Because obviously this episode is very focused on her and her emotional journey. And I think it actually yeah. would have been interesting if at the end of the day she had maybe found another way to communicate rather than just the language. Because it's showing that she can communicate, but also she's solving the problem using a method that's not her expertise. Like she's finding a way outside of her linguistic box to solve this problem yeah i mean communications is not only linguistics as well that is a very important thing to to keep in mind that yes obviously language is a very important thing especially when you don't see the other person or when there is no other way of communication just talking is very 
easy but non-verbal communication is a part of communication as well and i think it's usually overrated underrated sorry and like dismissed because it's not as easy to study it's just much easier to get a book and learn a language than learn their customs and how they express themselves with their hands or their body or their faces their intonations even just like gestures or anything like that it's as important to communication imagine if i just spoke like a robot to you you wouldn't know if i'm happy i'm sad i'm scared if i didn't have any intonation to my voice you wouldn't know what i'm feeling if you didn't see my face then i could pretend to be happier and maybe i'm crying or the other way around maybe i'm I don't know, maybe I'm laughing and you think I'm sad, or there are many aspects of communication that are overlooked because they're not grammar. And I'm saying this from the perspective of someone that loves grammar and theoretical linguistics, and I'm not um, that into uh, social linguistics or psycholinguistics, but they are equally as important as, you know, knowing where the verb is in the sentence. Yeah. No, absolutely, and it's it's interesting, and I know, obviously, look, they only have 45 minutes or whatever, and they have to resolve it pretty quickly, but I do wish they'd come up with a better way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to maybe go back as well, because obviously it's the conclusion of Hoshi's story in this episode, and I want yeah. to know how you feel about her journey on this episode, because she starts off kind of hesitant uh not very confident in her ability to be on this mission yeah like this is your fourth rewatch um, and obviously you've, yes. got, you've got hindsight on how her character <laughs> ends up but how did you feel about that um yeah so no spoilers my opinion on hoshi trying not to be biased by what i already know about her i think that if i found myself as a linguist on a ship in space, working side by side with people that are engineers and weapons officers and science officers. And, you know, I would feel that I was, I didn't belong there because her field of expertise is not as tangible as maybe an engineer that can fix the ship. Yeah, I think I agree with what you're saying because none of this is her, her field of expertise, even though. She does say she has, uh, I think it's three years Starfleet experience and she's done tours with them. But I think, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, I feel that the, maybe not the episode, but I feel like the rest of the crew, certainly the Doctor, doesn't handle her reaction to seeing the corpses as well as they should because I feel like they should know that she's a linguist. She's not a field officer, I suppose. And she's very hard on herself for screaming like a 12-year-old, as she says. Personally, I think I would scream like a 12-year-old if I saw 15 bodies hanging from the <laughs> ceiling. too. And the Doctor, like, it's really interesting because I like their relationship. They seem to get on in this episode. But the Doctor is quite supportive and comforting at the start. And then he suddenly veers to, well, maybe you should just go back to being a teacher. Not long after I became a physician, there was an explosion cargo ship orbiting my home world. I was part of the first medical team to arrive. There were uh, 17 bodies on the bridge alone. <laughs> I've never seen that many dead people in one place before. Very disturbing. You have nothing to be ashamed of. I screamed like a 12-year-old. 
We're all frightened by unfamiliar things. You should be grateful that your uh, body of experience doesn't include rooms full of corpses. Nobody else screamed. I'm a translator. I didn't come out here to see corpses hanging on hooks. It goes without saying that you're going to encounter the unexpected. Not corpses on hooks. Have you ever considered that you might be happier back at the university? Teaching. I did it for years. It was uh, quite rewarding. Yes. Um, I don't think Phlox dealt with it in the best way. I think maybe Archer did. Because he's like, no, I need you. And yes, maybe the end of the episode is a little too... Oh, you did it because we believed in you. But the captain was on her side. And he knew that if he asked her to come along, it's because she, he knew she could do it. But yeah, definitely Vlogs was way off. Vlogs was way off. And I think that I don't want to say it's because she's a woman, because Star Trek like does a good job of not playing into gender roles and stereotypes. At least for this episode, because I know that there are a few coming that I will take that back. But this episode is not about gender. It's just about how qualified she thinks she is in this position. And I think that the best approach would have been to... Um, mental health is a, is a health issue as well. So if she's traumatized because she just saw 15 dead bodies, I think the doctor should have had more tact and be like, listen... This is your first time. I mean, that's what he said, but then he went to <laughs> get the fuck out of the ship and go back to teaching. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, he should have been there to give her medical advice for the PTSD that she may be experiencing. And the thinking of her being unqualified, I think, comes from a place of linguistics is not as useful as engineering or other field, 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 fields. What am I saying? Uh, or more active fields <laughs> like science and uh, engineering and security. Yeah. Because I feel that way on my day-to-day -day life. Like, oh, I chose to study English, but that doesn't open me as many doors as an engineering career can open to an engineer or a medical career can open to a doctor. There are many doors that are closed because you're... Not not prepared. I don't think that I'm dumber than them. I think that it's just a different field and a different opportunity pool. So I connect to her in that way that she may not be experiencing the same adventure or like the same excitement as her crew members because of her field. But obviously when you're in space, you kind of need to be able to understand whoever you encounter. So it's a matter of her realizing how important her role is and these episodes where you get more into the perspective of a certain character can be very illustrative that way it's like oh you see why they may not feel comfortable um yeah i don't i don't want to say much else because there are more episodes regarding this topic so yeah no that's fair i pretty much agree with everything you said there i think it was a good idea to focus on someone like a linguist on your second episode because as you say yeah a linguist is going to be probably one of the most important people that you need on a mission of exploration someone who can actually talk to other people and understand them especially someone who can master in five minutes amazing 
<laughs> but I think that was a good idea because I mean, if they focus on say like Trip in this episode, um, you know, not that his role isn't as important. It obviously is very important that your ship works and that you you know have a engineer. I don't know. I don't know if you're like they're different. They're very because different. I don't know why a, I, a I don't running... know why I tried to compare them. They're so different. No, you you cannot have a running ship without an engineer. And yeah. you cannot have a successful exploration mission without a linguist. So yeah. it, they are just different fields. But I think that as in life, uh, which I don't think this is a thing that they intended to to do, but like in life, people are usually valuing more like the job of an engineer. It's like obvious that that is an important job and you don't question why Trip would be there, right? It's like when Trip says, oh, I want to go with you to Captain Archer so he could get out of the ship. And Captain Archer, like, denies that request by saying, no, you stay on the ship because that's where you belong. <laughs> You're yeah. an engineer. Why do I don't need an engineer on an exploration mission, yeah. like on, a, on an exit route. So, like, they, they are just different. So... I think if you're on the enterprise, your role is important and your field is important. Um, it depends on what aspect of the mission you're focusing on, because if you don't have trip and, for example, then a cell breaks, what are you doing? Yeah, no, you're right. I'm, I'm just going to just back away from this because it was a stupid comparison <laughs> to make and we've already gone on a tangent on how ridiculous it is to compare them. I should have compared it to Reed. Reed's Reed's useless. He can't even target the thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Reed. I still don't like him. I like how on your fourth rewatch you're still like, I still don't like Reed. It's very comforting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but Reed is a thing. I understand that the ship left Earth before it should have. So not everything was ready to go. And obviously, the first things that you focus on are the engineering aspects and not so much the missiles and guns when building a ship. So, yeah, that's why everything is not working. But I guess it's just that I don't like weapons in general. So I don't like that there must be a weapons position, a security position. Because, okay, so I understand the security position, but his position is so aggressive and, like, not defensive. Like, I would say a security position would be to defend the ship and not to attack everything that moves in space. So, yeah. Second episode, fourth rewatch. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I agree. I don't like that they have this position of head of armor and he's very focused on the gun. But I think it works given that it is their first mission. Obviously, Starfleet seems very yeah. American. So I think it makes sense that they're very focused on getting their guns right. Because obviously, as we know in future series, security officers aren't quite as trigger happy, let's say. And there's not as yes. much focus on guns. There's a lot more focus on shields, which I like. Correct. That's why, I, like for me, security is to protect yourself, mm -hmm. not so much to attack other people. Yeah. So, again, if you don't know what's out there, you should go more carefully. I understand it's their first mission, whatever, but still, I don't like weapons. So. No, and actually that brings me to a point that I wanted to make. I really liked how absolutely pathetic their torpedoes were. <laughs> like just literally bouncing off the other ship's shield. That was very funny to me. And I like how it undermined Reed at the same time. 
Yeah, I think he must have felt emasculated at that yeah. point, seeing his torpedoes bounce. Yeah, exactly. I also liked how we get our kind of their first exposure to a tractor beam. They don't even call it a yeah. tractor beam. I can't remember what they call it, but they're like, oh, something's holding us back. Stabilizing beam, I think. Yeah, something like that. But I, I enjoyed how we're getting these um, little kind of introductions to things scattered. I mean, T'Pol didn't seem to know what it was either. So that's interesting that Vulcans maybe haven't developed that technology yet. I don't know. But yeah, we'll see. I have another question about the tech on this ship. I'm at this stage in the in the Trek universe. I don't know if I'm going to have one of these every episode. I really hope not. But do we have replicators? Because in the scene where Trip is speaking to the doctor, he mentions that the potatoes are resequenced protein. But later when he's having dinner with the captain, he asks the captain what the pasta is. And the captain says, oh, I asked the chef, but I don't remember. So I'm like, do they have replicators? I... I believe that they must have something, if not a replicator, similar. I do believe they are introduced in this series. I don't know if they already have it. I think they do. Otherwise, how are they going to resequence any proteins? But I think that the captain has a personal chip, and that's why he doesn't eat in the canteen. He eats in his own quarters. And the first officer and whoever he wants to have lunch with, he invites there. Because that is a thing that happens both in Discovery, that I can remember. Lorca invites people to have a, a meal with him. And Kirk in the original series also uh, has lunch or dinners with Spock, sometimes outside of the canteen. So I think the crew gets the resequenced protein meals and the captain has a chef that cooks for him. Yes, um, I can confirm that in, in a later series also, the captain usually eats in his own quarters. I don't, I think they all use replicators in later series, but also that brings me then, I think I can, I think I know the answer to this based on how you said it earlier, but I just want a yes or no answer. Okay. Do we ever, do we ever get to meet his chef? Wide I eyes and raised eyebrows. Okay, she <laughs> that's fine, that's exciting, it's elite. <laughs> uh, I don't remember, okay. no. Uh, I would like to give you a yes or no answer. Okay, I, well, don't. I look forward to finding out. I was reminded while while doing my research for the resequencing that while talking about the Hoshi subplot, we never talked about the very subtle analogy of the slug. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Because apparently um, they just kidnapped a slug. Yeah, I would have liked to see the episode start before they got, like, as they were getting the slug and see what was the reason to just pick up one unit of slug. Yeah. I think it's nice that they acknowledge that there are adventures happening off screen and outside of the episodes. But I want to know the backstory to the slug. <laughs> and, like, did they arrive on the planet and literally scan the whole planet and just found one slug? Surely there was other slugs. Surely there was an ecosystem. That would have made me want to stay in the planet and investigate yeah. more. Like, if if I got to a, a planet and the only living organism was one single slug, that slug is a genocide hungry slug. Like, what happened to the rest of the creatures there? 
even more of the of the same slug. What? Where are they? Also, they just then abandon it on a different planet. <laughs> they basically just take this yeah. slug and they realize we don't know what it eats. We don't know what it needs to survive. Let's just dump it. Like it's just so weird. Yeah. But hey, pre-federation. There's no first contact protocols. They're just happy to you know move random slugs from planet to planet. Fuck an ecosystem. Yeah. Fuck an ecosystem, because you don't know if that slug, again, eats meat or just, like, plants or whatever. You just put an invasive species. Well, I mean, it's just one unit. Yeah, but we don't we don't know how it reproduces. Maybe it does the whole um, non-sexual reproduction. What's that? What's the name for non, non-sexual reproduction? Is it just asexual reproduction, where they split? Yeah, asexual. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know the answer to this. Don't tell me. Maybe there's an episode where they return to that planet and it's just infested with slugs, but I doubt it. And this also brings me on to another point that I want to make about poor animal care. Captain Archer giving his dog cheese. That's a big no-no. Don't do that. Don't give your dog cheese. Yeah. And he um, says it. He's like, don't he's like you know it just doesn't agree don't... with you. Don't give it to him. They look at you with that. But Porthos is beautiful. Like, if Porthos looked at me the same way that he looked at Archer, I would be like, what do you want? Chocolate? Let's get you some chocolate. And chocolate can kill a dog. But, like, they look at you with that look on their face. And it's just beautiful. You see, this is where and why I relate more to, to Paul and the Vulcans. Because I would just be like, no, <laughs> you're a dog. I like you. I like you. And I want you to live longer. So I'm actually not going to give you this thing that is bad for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, logically, I understand that. But when you have a dog looking at you and you're eating cheese, you just give them a little bit of cheese. And that's fine. Uh, talking about Porthos and the captain, we are also introduced to something that is not a spoiler. I'm just bringing, bringing attention into it. The squeaking noise. I was really hoping you were going to see the squeaking it's mentioned and then it never comes back and I'm curious okay don't spoil it I mean I think yeah don't spoil it because now yeah, that, br- that comes back no no more information but that okay, I'm excited comes I'm excited. back okay um, so that was the end of our recap I guess our commentary on the second episode fight or flight we will be back with a third episode <laughs> this is a threat and a promise we will be back please comment and sur- and subscribe and follow and write and everything in all the p- platforms that allow it. Our social media is at podmeupscotty in both TikTok and Twitter. Uh, so hit us up over there if you're interested or have any questions or have anything that you would like us to comment about. And yeah, thank you for listening. Bye. Scotty, come in. Beam us up home. Have you smelled Ensign Socorro after she exercises? Ah, she gives off a fragrance not unlike the adrenal gland of a Norsican. <laughs> and uh, Crewman Bennett and Hainum over there, do you see them? If I'm not mistaken, they are preparing to mate. Do you think they might let me watch 